KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio in depth. I'm Matt Leon. China and Taiwan have been in the headlines with some international concern about military tensions, Chinese jets probing Taiwan airspace. Now, this is a complicated history here. We wanted to learn about it. We wanted to learn how the U.S. is involved and why we all need to pay attention what happens here. So we caught up with Dr. James Carter. He is the interim dean of the College of Arts and Sciences and a professor of history at St. Joseph's University. Really interesting and important stuff. Give a listen. For people that aren't familiar or people that hear the headlines but don't quite understand, explain the the relationship, China and Taiwan. What is the relationship there? It's a unique relationship, um, and that is understanding that all relationships in the world are unique. Taiwan and China have a particularly unique one. Taiwan has been part of China for most of the last couple hundred years. Um, which is to say that it was incorporated into the Qing dynasty, which was the dynasty that wasn't, just to be clear, Chinese, but it was ruling over China and a lot of other places, and Taiwan was included in that. When the Qing dynasty ended in 1911, the borders were established so that Taiwan would be part of it, except that Taiwan already by that point was no longer part of China. It was no longer part of the mainland. It had been taken as a colony by the Japanese in the 1890s. So what that means is that when we're talking about this relationship between China and Taiwan, we really have to recognize that Taiwan, even though it's considered to be part of China in many conversations, it hasn't been ruled from Beijing since the 1890s. On to the more immediate past. So in 1945, World War II ends. Um, China is being governed by the Nationalist Party. The Nationalist Party uh, has been an ally of the United States. It's been one of the big five allies, along with the U.S. and France and Britain and the Soviet Union. At the end of World War II, civil war um, breaks out, or I should say resumes, between um, the communists and the nationalists. The Nationalist Party, which has been the allies of the United States, they flee to Taiwan, which is separated from the mainland by about 110 miles of water called the Taiwan Straits. At that point, Both sides expect, I think they would say, that pretty quickly the mainland is going to overrun the island and incorporate Taiwan back into the mainland. However, uh, and this is a really underrated part of the story, is when the Korean War breaks out in 1950, that causes the United States to reassess its whole defense posture in East Asia. And so whereas they'd previously been seeing Taiwan as sort of throwing good money after bad, We had supported Taiwan. The United States had supported the mainland during the the Civil War. That had not gone well. They supported the nationalists during the Civil War. That had not gone well. Taiwan was seen as really the resolution. It was going to how this war was going to play out. It was seemed to be a foregone conclusion that the communists would would win. After the Korean War breaks out, the United States changes its mind and decides that Korea and Taiwan and Japan and Vietnam, right, preview of coming attractions, um, are all really important defenses against the spread of communism. And so at that point, Taiwan is able to establish an independence from the mainland that is de facto, it really is functioning separately from the mainland, but it's considered to be officially part of the mainland by both sides. So ever since then, there's been this really strange relationship between the two sides of the Taiwan Straits. Both sides formally consider Taiwan to be part of the mainland, but in actuality, Taiwan and the mainland are separate countries. So depending on who you talk to, they're either completely separate 
or they're one and the same thing. And that's why it can be so confusing. What is the status of the relationship? I just read China had a lot of military muscle flexing in the area. How unusual is this? Is this something to be concerned about? What's happening? I'll play my historian card and go back in time just a little bit more. So starting in, in up until the early 1970s, most of the world's countries recognized uh, Taiwan as being the official government of China. And that's really stuck in the craw of the mainland because the mainland is governing this huge area, whereas Taiwan is much, much, much smaller. It's always been official PRC policy, so People's Republic of China policy, the mainland, that they could reincorporate Taiwan into it at any point because it was an internal concern of China. And, peri and periodically, they would exercise uh, military muscle to try and demonstrate that they could do that. This happens from time to time, happened very famously in the 1950s, but periodically, things like this would happen. So what's happened in the past few days are a couple of unusual things and some very typical things. So the very typical things are China, the PRC's Independence Day is October 1st. So October 1st is National Day on the mainland. October 10th is the National Day on Taiwan. That's the date of the 1911 revolution, which was when the, the Qing dynasty was overthrown. So the early October is always a tense time because both sides are celebrating their national days and what the relationship between the two gets to be very very, very fraught in that moment. So it's not uncommon for displays of, um, of might, um, saber rattling, muscle flexing, however you want to put it, to go on. But what's happened specifically in the past few days is there have been incursions into what's officially known as the air defense identification zone. Um, so what that means, it's not Taiwanese territory. Uh, it's not Taiwanese airspace. And that's sometimes, I think, misstated in some of the reporting on it. But what it is, it's, it's an area in which any aircraft that, that flies through, they're expected to identify themselves to the Taiwanese authorities. Most countries have this, this ADIZ, uh, this Air Defense Identification Zone. So by flying into that, and the last number I saw was about 150 Chinese planes, but was, I mean, mainland PRC planes had flying into the ADIZ. It's a provocation. It's a provocation that's intended to demonstrate that uh, China can do this when they wish. It's a demonstration of ability. It's a demonstration of intent. Uh, it's intended to unsettle uh, people in, in Taiwan. And also it's intended to make people around the world reconsider whether or not um, they want to support Taiwan, which is part of the other implicit in your question, which what are the implications of this? The United States is obligated to defend Taiwan. Now, the level of that obligation is it kind of depends, which is a very technical historian term. Um, but one of the challenges that, that um, the United States has here is that the Taiwan Relations Act means that the United States is obligated to provide defensive weapons to Taiwan. It also means that the United States is obligated to let the government of Taiwan be settled between Taiwan and the mainland as long as it's done peacefully. There's really very much a, a, a bluffing game that's going on here between the mainland and the United States, and they're waiting to see which one is going to blink. As well as you're explaining it, it is complicated on so many levels. What are you seeing from the Biden administration at this point? 
Well, the, the statements that the Biden administration made just uh, the other day that President Biden had spoken with President Xi Jinping um, in Beijing and that they had both sides had agreed that they were going to stand by their agreement. Right. Their agreement goes back to the 1970s. The idea is that what the United States does is that the United States acknowledges China's stance that Taiwan is part of China and that there is one China. So it's often called the one China policy. The United States acknowledges the one China policy and takes no position on Taiwan's sovereignty. So it's very much a kind of willful ignorance. Taiwan and the United States did not have formal relations. But if you go to Taiwan, you'll find that there is a U.S. diplomatic presence there that it looks in every way like an embassy, except it isn't an embassy. So we can kind of main this fiction, which has for a long time been known as uh, strategic ambiguity. So the idea that Taiwan's uncertain status breeds some stability because no one's quite sure where the lines are. No one's quite sure of what's going to cross the line since you don't know where it is. And therefore, all sides are going to be somewhat hesitant. Now, I think what's changing the equation and what's making some people nervous is that up until very recently, it's been pretty clear that, first of all, any conflict, if the United States and the PRC, the mainland, were to come into military conflict, it's very clear that the United States is a much stronger military power. And it's also pretty clear that the mainland couldn't effectively uh, invade Taiwan. I think that's no longer clear in, in either of those cases. Um, not that the United States military isn't stronger than China, as it is, but just because of the location, because of the strategic factors that would go into to fighting a war there. But the status of that conflict is uncertain. And I think people in in the Biden administration and military planners in the U.S. government, you know, they're thinking that it's and in Taiwan also are thinking that it's possible for the mainland to stage an invasion of Taiwan. I personally don't think that that's a likely outcome because I think that there is a desire to sort of see a, a very gradual integration of Taiwan into the mainland. I would be foolish to rule out the possibility of such conflict just simply because the stakes are so high and there's so much uncertainty and volatility in the region. How does the China-Taiwan situation compare, contrast with the China-Hong Kong? They certainly have a lot. You know, if you draw the Venn diagram of Hong Kong and China and Taiwan, there's a lot of overlap, but they are distinct. So I think what they have most in common is this. If you went back to the 1980s, OK, so the 1980s is when the agreement is made that Hong Kong is going to go back to Chinese sovereignty. Right. So it's going to it had been a colony of Great Britain. In the 1980s, the agreement is made that in 1997, Hong Kong would revert to, to Chinese sovereignty. There's a lot of uncertainty and nervousness about that. But this model of one country, two systems was what was created. So the, the notion would be that Hong Kong would be one country. It would become part of the People's Republic of China, but there would be two systems. There would be a communist socialist system in the PRC, but Hong Kong would have a capitalist system that would continue to exist, and they would both coexist. Okay, what's the relationship of that to Taiwan? The relationship to, uh, to Taiwan is that, very clearly, the leaders in the People's Republic at the time, so that'd be Deng Xiaoping would have been the, the leader of the country, he very much felt that this would be a model for Taiwan in the future, that maybe Taiwan could come back into China under this model of one country, two systems, in this case, maybe multiple systems. In 1989, when you have the massacre in Beijing and around the country where you have protesters who are killed by uh, the government, this made a lot of people uh, very, very nervous in Hong Kong about what would be their fate 
And then I think if you look at what's happened in Hong Kong over the last couple of years, the introduction of the national security law, the idea that many of the freedoms of expression, freedoms of the press, freedoms of assembly that people in Hong Kong had enjoyed and expected to enjoy for some time, those have now been eroded. I think the comparison between Taiwan and Hong Kong is that people in Taiwan who maybe 10 or 20 or 30 years ago would have looked at the possibility of integration with the mainland as maybe it's not necessarily something they wanted, but something that in the end, it, it wouldn't matter that much. I don't think that that's, that position is very easy to hold right now because you saw what had happened in Beijing in 1989, but more, much more importantly for recent history, what's been happening in Hong Kong over the past couple of years. And so many people in Taiwan fear that they, they've seen the, they've seen the blueprint. So they, people who feared that if they became part of the PRC, they would lose a lot of the freedoms, um, and a lot of the, the identity that made them, has made them distinct. Well, looking at Hong Kong, they feel pretty confident that they're correct in that position. These moves by China, is it nationalism driven? Is it economically driven? Is it diplomatically driven? Is it a little bit of everything? What's the main reason, specifically with Taiwan, that they would want to reintegrate Taiwan? It's all of these things. The way I like to think of it is from a friend of mine in in China who, I mean, he was a a teacher and a, a colleague when I was over there doing research for a long time. And what he would say is that in the United States, you, you have to you have to understand as an American, the United States has been getting bigger over the past couple of hundred years. And so the American view is that your country is getting bigger, your country is getting stronger, your country is getting more powerful. China's view had been the opposite. China's been getting smaller over that period of time. So pieces like Hong Kong had been taken away when um, Mongolia was claimed by China for when it was part of the Qing Empire, that, that moves out the notion of Taiwan, um, and Tibet are these areas, and we talked in the news about Xinjiang lately, that's a whole other topic for another show. But these border regions, which came into the PRC through a really odd process, um, it was the process of turning an empire into a nation state. There are these pieces that don't quite fit into the idea of nationalism, and yet they become essential parts of the nation, and therefore a nationalist position means that all these pieces have to stay, uh, have to stay with the nation. So would Taiwan pulling away from or becoming independent from the PRC have a, have a huge impact economically or strategically? Not really. But psychologically, it would have an enormous impact. And here's part of the reason why that matters, not just about the feelings of the Chinese people, which is something that comes up a lot in official PRC rhetoric. The Communist Party of China has made, has, has staked its claim to legitimacy on nationalism and on its ability to make China a great power. So it it points to something that's been called the the century of humiliation. So going back from the 1830s all the way into the 1940s, you have this period where China had been carved up by foreign powers. Hong Kong was taken as a colony, but there was a German colony, there were Russian colonies, there were spheres of interest from Japan, from the United States, from France, from all these other, all these European countries. Obviously, the invasion by Japan that went along with World War II, China became very, very weak. When the um, Communist Party comes to power in 1949, it starts a process by which China reclaims its place as a world power. And certainly you can see over the past couple of decades, it's taken this position not only as one of the world's strongest economies, but also a strategic player exercising influence around, around the world. So the Communist Party has made, again, staked its legitimacy on the notion that it's able to accomplish that. If it starts to lose pieces in something as important as Taiwan, which has become fundamental to its identity, 
that piece would, would strike a blow at the legitimacy of the party. I think ultimately that's what's driving it, um, is a sense of kind of psychology and nationalism kind of fused together. That's not to say that if I, if Taiwan were to become independent, that the, that the Communist Party would lose legitimacy. It's not that one-to-one correlation, but it's an essential piece of the, of the party's plan for how it's going to maintain itself in power. And the idea that Taiwan would somehow move away from the mainland, that is completely off the table because it's, it's at odds with their, with their strategy going forward. In the scheme of the world right now, there are hot spots in the world. You talk about the North Korea, South Korea, you know, places in the Middle East. Am I crazy that this China-Taiwan situation should be up near the top of the list because not only the players involved, but it would seem that that ambiguity, all it would take is one person to push the wrong button and you could have kind of a cascade effect that could get out of hand quickly. I agree. Uh, so I'll say a couple of things that I think are, they kind of contradict one another, but that, that's par for the course when you're talking about China and Taiwan. Neither side wants war. And I say that not because I'm trying to appeal to like our greater sense of, of the goodness of humanity, but because that there's their economic relationships and there are livelihoods that depend on, if not a they depend on a peaceful relationship between the two sides. And the relationship between China and Taiwan actually had been pretty good for a period of time. And, and interestingly, I just said between China and Taiwan, making that statement would already like produce a firestorm just by phrasing it that way, which I wasn't doing intentionally, but that's just how delicate this is. So between Taiwan and the mainland, you want to keep those good relationships because both sides depend on it. Taiwan uh, is, a, is a large and important economy, even though it's just a fraction of the size of the, of the mainland. So I don't think any side wants war. I mean, that should go without saying. Uh, I do believe, though, that what you said is exactly right, that there's potential for accidents or mistakes or maybe actions that are not quite mistakes, but they are not official policy. So somebody local could do something that, that the higher up wish they hadn't done and it can spiral. I mean, this cascade of effects is a very real problem. We, we've seen in the recent years research about the Cuban Missile Crisis and about how close we might have come to nuclear war then, there were, there were the Taiwan Straits Crisis, which happened in the 1950s. Some of the documents that have come to light recently demonstrate that there were some decisions that were in play that weren't seen as necessarily being crucial at the time. But now it's pretty clear that if we'd gone a way that we didn't go, that nuclear war was much, much closer then than we expected. So I'm kind of trying to take the position that I don't think war is likely, partly because I don't think that either side wants it, to the reality that we've gotten very lucky on a number of occasions. And it would be foolish to think that a lot of those same dangers do not lurk right around the corner in this moment. And so anytime that you have this sort of the the stakes being this high and this much military might concentrate at a single point, um, the chances that something could go astray are First of all, not that hard to imagine. Second of all, it could have tremendous consequences. I also say this as somebody who I remember I was, I'll date myself, but there it is. I was sitting in college in uh, the fall of 1989, and I was taking a course on the history of communism and socialism. And when the course started, um, people would ask about what was going on in Eastern Europe. And we were pretty confident that, you know, something might happen in in Germany, but we certainly nothing was going to happen in all these other states. By the end of the class, most of the countries we were studying didn't even exist anymore. And none of the experts expected when August and September came around that by December, all of this would have changed. So anytime I'm talking about a situation like that, it's colored by that experience. 
So I don't expect there to be a conflict, of a war, let's just call it what it is. I don't expect there to be a war over Taiwan, but I would be a fool if I, if I ruled it out entirely, which makes me really unhappy to say. Are there certain things that the average person, that if they hear, should be alarmed about? Are there a couple of dominoes that would be at the front edge of that cascade that if you hear these things start to be talked about, you really might want to whip your head around because this is when it's time to pay attention? So I'll, I'll try to walk back some of what I was saying a minute ago, which is to say, I think that, that Beijing's goal here is to make clear that Taiwan should not make any bold movements and declare independence, for instance, because there would be a response to that. Um, I think that's the point of their of their exercises. I don't think that Beijing is is trying to force Taiwan into a, into a conflict that's going to lead to bloodshed on on a, on, a, on a large scale. But to answer your question directly, that is what would be the the red line. Like if you hear the government in Taiwan declaring independence, then that would be the kind of thing to pay attention to. Because by the time you heard that statement, that would probably already be aware that there was other stuff going on. Part of the situation that's so dangerous is exactly why your question, there aren't too many answers to your question, because we live pretty close to the edge in Taiwan. And so a lot of the things that people sort of look for in the run up to a confrontation, those things are, are already in existence and they've been there for, for decades. The margin of error is relatively small. Now, on the more reassuring side, because it's been going on for decades, both sides have become somewhat accustomed to this game, which in the 1950s, it got to the point that each side agreed that they would lob shells at one another across the Taiwan Straits on alternating days. And so therefore, they knew which day it was going to come. And so they could make sure there were no casualties. So you could kind of get into this ritualized conflict that wasn't actually going to hurt many people, although in the beginning of that conflict, hundreds of people died. So all that is to say that I think the red line that people should, if they heard Taiwan declaring independence, that would obviously be a big, a big red line. What I expect to happen is that it's going, there's going to be a flare up of confrontation. Um, there'll be, there'll be a lot of rhetoric exchanged on both sides. That rhetoric will sound very aggressive and very intimidating, especially if you're not accustomed to this relationship. Um, but that it will die down and both sides will behind the scenes have conversations that will all agree that our interests are better served by a more normal relationship. And then things will, will calm down only to probably reemerge again. China's game, the mainland's game, is for the long-term interest being that China and Taiwan move closer and closer together until at some point the two become integrated to the degree that you don't really realize that they've become reintegrated. That, that's been their goal. Honestly, that goal is now more difficult because of the, the way that the Chinese, the mainland government, the mainland Chinese government has sort of stepped up its rhetoric and its repression inside its country. So I think that's less likely than that what I just described is less likely than it was oh, 10 or 20 years ago. But I still think that is overall the goal. And that's a more likely outcome than an actual shooting war. But I wish I could be more, more confidently rule the latter out. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.